Bonjour, it's Claire. Welcome and thanks for listening to the Integrally Alive podcast where we explore resilience and how to go from alive-ish to alive. Today I'm with Johnny Miller. Hello Johnny and thank you for being with us today. Hey Claire, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so who's Johnny? Johnny is an entrepreneur. He co-founded Baptia, a living archival of inspiring and impactful stories from around the world. And actually go and have a look. The photos are amazing. I wanted to say that to you, Johnny. Really, I loved it. Um, he led the Escape the City Startup Tribes in London for 2016. He's a podcaster at Curious Humans. And again, go and listen to it. I loved it. And he did crazy things as well, uh, as crossing the English Channel on a stand-up paddleboard <laughs> to raise money for charity. <laughs> you read that? Yeah, that was, that was wild. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> um, but today, we, uh, I invited him to talk from um, a totally different thing. I was at Freedom X Festival last August, and he was on stage. And I heard him openly share that he lost his partner to suicide um, actually recently. And as you know, I'm very sensitive to that subject. So, and especially to break the silence around this. So as soon as I heard that, I wanted to invite you here to share your story and thoughts. And I'm so glad you said yes. Hmm. Thank so, you. Yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, I think it's important to to have these conversations kind of as you were saying before the call and breaking the silence and um you know creating the space for people to to talk about these things so yeah it's, it's a pleasure to be here yeah i totally think that we wouldn't have uh, so actually when they to to clarify something if you if you listen to this podcast for uh, a while you know that already if you don't maybe you don't know it but suicide is actually a big thing <laughs> there's a lot of people taking their own lives in our in our world and um, it's often linked to uh, depression and depression is gonna be the second health issue in the world by 2020 so said so, I mean it's not me saying that it's the World Health Organization and well i believe that if we make it a little bit more public maybe it won't happen so <laughs> let's talk about it yeah I, I think i read um it was it was world suicide day uh, last week mm -mm. I believe, and i think there were six six thousand four hundred people in the uk alone who who took their own lives um last year alone and of which of which sophie was one of them um, but yeah, it's a, it is a huge problem and um, yeah, it's just, it's not, you know, discussed and talked about enough because I think it is, it's very scary for a lot of people to even consider. Um, yeah. <laughs> so could you share a little bit of your story with us? What, mm. what happened? Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> um, I guess to to give give some context, I was uh, I'd, I'd known Sophie for about three and a half years. Um, we were we were engaged, so she was my she was my fiance. Um, she <laughs> was just uh, an incredible incredible human being, an incredible spirit, and she had this this amazing compassionate energy as well. Um, she was a pediatric doctor. So when we, when we first met, she was training in London, um, doing her, it's called F1 and F2 in England. And then she worked as a, as a doctor in here in Worthing near to Brighton. Um, and she, uh, she'd been diagnosed with bipolar when she was, um, at university, I think when she was twenty, and her her family have a had a history of bipolar as well. I think her granddad took his own life as well. I think, and her mum also um, has kind of battled with bipolar for most of her life as well. So, yeah, that was kind of I guess always 
there in our in our relationship um and there were certainly times when she had these kind of like low you know low ebb moments or times when things just got a bit overwhelming um but yeah the um i guess what i what i shared in at freedom x in spain was last last october um on the 20 23rd of october we just had a week together in portugal um and it was a really it was a really amazing week um and there'd been a kind of a couple of days when she'd been feeling low and particularly particularly anxious i think in the last year that we'd been together the the depressive episodes tended to be more um they they were more anxiety inducing i think and she kind of had these like panic attacks i guess um and the day after she uh she she returned home and i stayed out in portugal for another week i was um yeah i was working on this uh, surfboard shaping course and she came home on the sunday and she actually went out to a, a gig in london and she went for went for dinner with some friends and she sent me a message saying um what a great night she'd had mm. and then on the on monday morning she went into work and she um something triggered her anxiety um it was i think it was something incredibly simple like she was just typing up notes for a patient that she'd been that she'd been seeing but she um was just just triggered and she ended up uh we think kind of making the decision there and then she left her pager at work so she kind of couldn't be contacted and she made her way home to the the apartment that we were living in in Brighton at the time that was that was empty because I was in Portugal and she overdosed on her own medicine um lamotrigine and citalopram she'd googled exactly how much to how much to take and yeah she was found by her sister Rosie the following morning um in the yeah in our bedroom so yeah she um she took her own life was she having any support around the mental health was she having any what sorry support what kind of support did she have yeah good question she um she'd been seeing a a great therapist uh in locally in brighton um who i think was giving uh lots of kind of good i guess cbt based um support and those sessions were actually going very well um it kind of seemed like it was in a kind of an upward trajectory um she had she had an incredibly sorry sorry yeah can you uh, remind us what cbt stands for yeah it stands for cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. so kind of um looking at some of the self sabotaging and negative beliefs that you have yeah. and just helping you to rewire the way that you see yourself and the way that you see the world um and it seemed to be very helpful i'm um, lots of journaling lots of kind of uh that sort of thing and she was also um she was very open in talking about a, a lot of this i know that a lot of people who do suffer from depression and mental health find it very hard to kind of open up and talk about it but she yeah. was generally um you know ever since we we first met she kind of was always very open and transparent about what she was going through um and she has you know an incredibly supportive family um mum and sister and two brothers who um again i think I would imagine it's probably rare to kind of have the level of vulnerability um and sharing that she that she had from from them and from her mum as well who obviously can can empathize kind of more than most having mm-hmm. uh, going th- going through it herself and she, she also um she was on uh medication as well so citalopram and lamotrigine which are a mood stabilizer and an antidepressant as well um which she'd been kind of going through different kind of dosing dosing levels and just kind of seeing how it affected her mm. and how she felt 
Um, and yeah, and and obviously, I, you know, I was I was there as well. And although not professionally trained, um, we just had a lot of a lot of kind of conversations. And I think a lot of the time, I was just there to kind of hold space for her, and um, less actually being useful, but just kind of being there to remind her that it's okay and that some of the. <laughs> I think that is really useful. <laughs> So yeah. it's, mm. it's really rare, actually, to, uh, like you said, most people battling with mental health mm. use um, for many reasons. One being that our society is not conducive to, be, to talk openly about that. Mm. Um, they have a hard time to share what's, what's up with them mm. and what's, what's happening. And, and even actually, even accepting what they are going through. Uh, so just, just being there mm. <laughs> and being open and willing to listen in a non-judgmental uh, oh non way, it's mm. already a lot. And that can make, I mean, and this is, uh, um, I've been um, a therapist for 10 years and I can tell you 80% of what I'm doing is mm. listening to people and mm. it's something that is really really missing in our society and uh, so mm. this is the base for for any support and sometimes it can even be um i mean i'm not saying that therapy is wrong but <laughs> it can it 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 needs to be uh, this kind of of listening uh, level needs to be there outside of therapy uh, mm. we, we need support in every every kind so it's I don't think it was not useful what you did in the in the uh, mm. in the country yeah, um, yeah and I think that I guess to give more to, to give some more context as to kind of what was going through mm. Sophie's like internal narrative at the time um, she had um, Although she kind of out, outwardly she was incredibly charismatic and confident and and charming, um, a lot of her self worth was kind of tied to ex, often external things. So kind of her ability to be helpful to other people, or to be a great doctor, or to kind of be there for her friends and family. And I think that sometimes when when any of that was was threatened by something. Um, or challenged, then it almost kind of like pulls the pulled the rug from under her to some extent, mm -hmm. and I think that was often a, a trigger for some of the some of the anxiety, um, and 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 the reason I mean the reason that she ultimately took her took her own life, which she'd only ever really um, I I mean I've I've heard that suicidal ideation as it's called is actually surprisingly common for people who you know even don't suffer from yeah. particularly intense depressions um yeah she she hadn't ever really talked about it that that often or, or that much but she was feeling particularly at the time that she was being a a burden on on other people and on me and on on her family and I think that that combined with the fact that her kind of intrinsic self-worth wasn't really, wasn't really there. Um, and in that state of kind of anxiety, it's almost like um, kind of her, like her, her, her limbic system was kind of hijacked by that cocktail yes. of fear, emotions, which I guess can just kind of flood your brain in those states. And yeah. From there, she almost, I guess, reached a, the rational conclusion, like from these kind of false premises that she wasn't, you know, worth mm. anything, that it would almost be a selfless thing to, to do, um, you know, for the benefit of, of me and, and other people. And that's almost what is so, you know, heartbreaking about it. Yeah just um 
in her head it just it was the most rational thing to do yeah the most sense and she felt like she was doing this good thing that obviously was <laughs> ter- yeah. terrible decision um, yes yeah yeah mm-hmm. that was um and she kind of she kind of wrote a note at the time to to that extent as well that was incredibly hard to read um but yeah yeah this is this is what I, I found many things very difficult with suicide, but this is one of them. Uh, suicide being, appearing to the person as a rational decision where really it's not. There is nothing rational in that. But it's, mm-hmm. it appears and it can be defended very, like logically. Mm. And, and it's really difficult to reverse this logic because yeah. there's a kind of tunnel vision of, okay, this is the only option and this is the best option. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. really, there is always, always another option. It's just a matter of taking a step back and yeah. a different view and a different angle on the situation, whatever the situation is. Yeah, exactly. It's it really I, difficult. I, no, I, I completely agree. And I think that also, um, yeah, in conversations that I've had with, with a lot of other people who who kind of suffer from depression as well i think it can kind of come from this feeling of disconnection and i think like connection with with fundamentally yourself but also the world around you and nature and like you like the wonder of the world and like a sense of curiosity and i think that um as you say everything just kind of narrows and shuts down into this um into this tunnel vision where if you follow that rational line of thought, that's kind of where it takes you. But it is hard to um, logically kind of convince people otherwise if they don't, if they feel that kind of fundamental disconnection. Yeah. Actually, one of um, the only way to, uh, to reverse this logic that I know is not biological thought. Mm. This is being not a rational uh, decision you cannot rationally <laughs> kind mm. of defeat it mm. so rather than going this route changing the uh, the emotional states is actually more powerful mm-hmm. usually but i'm not saying that is easy <laughs> 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 and uh, one thing i wanted to say about you you you, you touched a, a word on, on depression mm. and that it's not always like dead-end depressive people who commit suicide. Sometimes, like I interviewed someone, for example, for the podcast a few weeks ago. She was uh, in a very difficult mental situation for 10 years until she, decides, she decided, okay, today I'm, this is the last day of my life. I'm killing myself. Mm. And she had to go through this decision of killing herself to actually realize, wait, I have a problem. <laughs> and that's, that's when she realized, oh, it's not that I'm broken or that I'm not normal or I just, I just have a problem and maybe that problem is called depression. And that's the moment she went out and sought for, for help. It took her 10 years. So w- during 10 years, she was suicidal. She was thinking about suicide every day. But she didn't recognize it as anything else than, oh, there is something wrong with me. Mm. And if I'm saying something, then people will reject me because obviously they're all going fine around me. Mm. And this is so, sadly, this is very, very common. Mm. Or, um, and sometimes it doesn't, um, doesn't need to be that dramatic either. I have a very uh, good friend who once um, found herself at her window, window open, hands on the frame, and she, the next thing she was going to do is jump. Mm-hmm. In that moment, she, she had a glimpse of clarity and she thought, oh, I have a problem. And she called someone and um, gladly for her, her parents were in the house mm-hmm. and they came and they talked and... Again, she took her to be that second, that hands on the frame and jumping, some part of her kind of 
send a message of hey, your the situation is is like dangerous and and, and uh, serious. So do something. Mm. But she told me at that moment, logically, the only solution was to jump, and it was very rational, and it was she could explain it very rationally to her parents. Mm. But again, she didn't feel depressive. She didn't feel sad. She was just overwhelmed and she really didn't see all of this coming. So mm. that's actually one of my, um, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast. There is so many, we have many misconceptions about suicide. Mm. And one is, you, you obviously, when you're about to do to suicide yourself, you've you're completely depressive, you're sad, and then so on, and you have so many problems and so on. And mm. it's not always so. It's not always so. It has many, many faces to it. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're completely right. That it's, um, it's so much more about the, the emotional and kind of spiritual state that people mm -hmm. are in, the in those times. I mean, Sophie did seek, I mean, she spent a lot of time really proactively trying to almost run little experiments with her kind of with herself mm -hmm. uh, whether it was like um things with her diet or exercising and getting enough sleep like really basic things and or, like tracking her mood doing lots of journaling and just seeing what kind of the triggers were and just trying to kind of seek a deeper understanding of herself to to figure out mm -hmm. like what would be what would be best for her and what one of the times that she was like most alive and happiest was she did a um, a three month cycle trip from Vancouver to Los Angeles on on her own, and I wasn't there with her at the time. Um, I had to I was working in London, but she she was just unbelievably happy during the majority of that trip, and I think it was that sense of um, kind of adventure and being out in nature and being like surrounded by trees and with the ocean there and um a sense of purpose as well kind of getting from eight from one place to another and yeah and i i mean i guess perhaps being kind of outside of a very stressful work environment as well i mean i think that work can be i would imagine it can be a trigger for a lot of people and particularly yeah. for um, UK doctors and junior doctors it's a it's an incredibly high stress environment and there have been you know a fair, fair few articles and things published recently about how kind of unsupported and just overstretched the um, mm. the medical workforces in in England and kind of things that can be done to offer better support but yeah I think it's just that um, it's just a very unfortunate cocktail. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so in that, in that experience, what support did you get? If any. <laughs> hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm fortunate to have some, some really close friends and some people that I can um, kind of talk to. I, I think that, I mean, like like a lot of guys, I probably find it harder to, or certainly less intuitive, to kind of reach out and ask for help if if I'm struggling. Um, which changed this year, incidentally. <laughs> 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 uh, but there were, I mean, there were times when I had some really really great calls with Sophie's mum, who was just a wonderfully kind of supportive and loving energy, and just. Um, like it was amazing because she is like a doctor on one hand and she mm. has suffered from bipolar herself and she's also Sophie's mum. So she was incredibly helpful. Um, particularly when times when, you know, it's, it's really, it's really scary to see someone that you, that you love so dearly, just not being themselves and being in this state where um, they almost have no control of how they feel. You certainly have no control of how they feel. And you feel really, you feel really powerless, and you feel really mm. helpless. Yeah. Um, I think that I'm, I'm fortunate in that I've just been, for whatever reason, genetically born with a certain degree of like resiliency, and I tend to be, like, 
quite optimistic and I have quite, um, I guess, high, high reserves. Um, but yeah, there were certainly times when, um, I mean, yeah, well, well, Sophie was, well, Sophie was there. There were times when talking to her mum was incredibly helpful. And, and I think for me also, like I, I tend to be able to, I, I like ground myself by going for a swim in the sea or mm. doing yoga or um, I have a fairly consistent meditation practice. And I think those, those things allow me to kind of um, recharge and ensure that I'm not depleting myself and that I have enough kind of emotional capacity to be mm -hmm. there. But I think it is, it's incredibly important. And I would imagine for people kind of working whether they're coach, coaching or counseling or offering therapy, like giving themselves that time to like almost recharge their own reserves, I can imagine it would be so important. Yeah, taking time. Mm. <laughs> That's a very important one. I found out in my own personal story. Yeah, I can imagine. That... I mean, death is always a shock, but suicide is a very, very special shock in its own. It's always, for, by definition, you never expect it. So it's always unexpected, sudden, and kind of violent. Mm. And I know it takes time just to accept that it is, that it happened. And then... Uh, Letting and we were talking about this before the interview. Um, um, the, <laughs> the kind of problem <laughs> our society has with pain, mm. and we having traveled a bit and having lived with uh, more traditional societies, let's say, like the Maori in New Zealand, mm -hmm. I really think that we we too had. Uh, a way to like we had rituals and and so on and we had a way to wave pain into life and so we knew what to do with it we knew we knew how to do it with it mm. and today we don't have these rituals anymore and which in one hand is is nice we have more freedom etc but on another hand we lost a lot of um of knowledge about how to deal with these kind of things. Like for example, in, with the Maoris, the burials, they, they last for days. And the dead is with them, like the dead body is with them. They talk to him or her, they, they talk a lot. <laughs> yeah. And they cry and they cry very loud. And mm. they, they really express every emotion they have for days so when this ceremony is over there is a lot of um a lot of the emotional burden is is actually they go they went through this and mm. we only have like if in france is one hour uh, burial <laughs> and then you you uh, you go away so um we completely lost this this sense of going through pain being with the pain to let mm. it fade away mm. and I think it makes it harder actually <laughs> yeah I mean I could I could talk about this for quite a while um, I think that for me uh, for me I was conscious of my own tendency to maybe not feel the depths of the emotions that that come up and I think I almost um, particularly f following um, following the memorial and following um, kind of scattering the ashes and it was just an incredibly raw time um, I think that I kind of wanted to ensure that I gave myself the chance to feel the depth of the pain mm -hmm. and I think that there's an interesting phrase that a a lot of people, I don't know if you have it in France, but in, in England, people always say you're kind of, you're being really strong, like, like well done, you're, you're, you're being strong. Being strong, yes. Oh. Yeah, and it's like, like, it's coming from a good place because they kind yeah. of want you to be okay. But yeah, for me, actually, what, what was really hard was actually 
allowing myself to be like completely not just weak but be like obliterated by mm. the pain of of what I felt and you know that can't happen or I think it, it's hard to almost let the entirety of that in I think it kind of comes in stages or comes in waves but I yeah. I ended up going on um uh there were a couple of a couple of things that I'd been kind of curious about anyway um and they the idea of it terrified me but I felt like it was something that I kind of needed to do and one was a um an ayahuasca ceremony in uh in the UK and another was a vipassana meditation mm. retreat kind of 10 days in silence um and that was in a beautiful place in Herefordshire called Deepa Dharma and those two experiences I think um really allowed me to kind of sink into that feeling of um of, of surrender and kind of accepting the pain and when you're when you allow that to happen, it kind of transforms and it turns yes. to um, a feeling of just like deep, deep, deep connection and deep tenderness. Yeah. And there was this one, this wonderful Leonard Cohen quote that is, um, everything is cracked and that's how the light gets in. <laughs> yeah, I love um, that quote. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so true and it's so beautiful. And from that space, um, yeah, all of this, all of this beauty just kind of came in in the form of memories of Sophie and like feeling her, um, feeling her spirit in nature and being in the sea, swimming in the sea in the mornings in Brighton as well as incredibly, it's almost like a microcosm of the process, like the pain of stepping into like eight degree water and like. <laughs> that shock <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then like slowly sinking into it and letting the, the cold kind of seep into you until you actually feel okay and then when you come out you feel you feel really good and you feel really alive i um, believe you <laughs> yeah and there was yeah there were just moments and kind of um that I, I ended up doing quite a bit of writing as well and quite a bit of journaling um and yeah, one of the things that came to me was this um, this thought that when I, when I met Sophie, she was kind of the first uh, long, like real relationship I think I'd ever had. And at the time, there was this feeling that she'd kind of shown me or taught me like what it, what it meant to love, what it meant mm -hmm. to really love another human. Um, and there was this really visceral feeling that now that, we'd kind of taken her ashes and offered her ashes to the, to the river and to the, to nature. Um, they're almost like the, the challenge or the, the gift that she'd given me was this question of like, how can, how can I now fall in love with the world that she mm -hmm. is now a part of and seeing her in the, in the trees, in the flowers, in the, in the birds and kind of feeling that her energy is still there um, and feeling connected to her, to her in that way. And yeah, that was just like a really, uh, it, you know, it doesn't happen all at once, but yeah, over time it's, it's a really powerful kind of transition. And I guess that everyone interprets these things in their own, in their own way through their own lenses. But for me, it's been really powerful to, um, and now that I'm, you know, back here in Brighton, which is where we live together for um, two and a half years after doing a lot of traveling, it's it's now almost like nice to feel like I'm in this place that's like imbued with her. And I found myself like seeking out the the people that the people in the places that felt like they were kind of imbued with a sense of mm -hmm. safiness um, <laughs> and just like wanting to be around that. Um, and yeah, I ended up visiting a, a number of the places that we'd spent time together. Um, and yeah, it was all just kind of part of a, an ongoing healing process and also kind of exploration into those, yeah, those like layers of grief, I guess. Yeah. I, I love what you say about being strong. We have that in France, 
too, mm -hmm. and in French. And, and it's so wrong. <laughs> mm. it's, uh, I often compare it to, uh, we have this tale about the oak, you know, this very strong tree, and the mm. bamboo. And the mm. oak is very strong, right? Like it stays, um, yeah, it stays strong and doesn't move with the wind and so on. And the bamboo, each time there is a tiny, tiny wind, it will go uh, like bend over. And, but for each oak, there is a storm that will be just stronger than him and who will be able to knock it over. But the bamboo, okay, it bends over with every, every uh, tiny, tiny wind. But even with the strongest storm, it will bend over and then come back and bend over mm. and come back. And so I'm really often saying, don't be strong. <laughs> like, mm. don't be strong, just surrender. Like you said, you said it beautifully. Surrendering is a very, um, it's a real resilience. Being strong is often just a denial, actually, of what's happening. And the mm. burying down uh, emotions. And they, they always blow up at some point. <laughs> mm. There will always be some, something that will be stronger than, uh, than these being strong. It's a very, and it's taking a lot of, um, uh, of energy because it's being in resistance to what's happening. And this takes a lot of energy. While surrendering is, um, as I said, it's scary to do so. But when you, when you do that, you find relief in that. Mm. And you can navigate and eventually come up like the bamboo. <laughs> and this yeah. is resilience. This resilience is not never going down. Like I know we have this uh, image of uh, fully alive and living 100% and we, we tend to want to be positive all the time and to be okay all the time. But mm -hmm. really, in, on the larger scale, we need to acknowledge that sometimes life knocks you down and it's okay and then you will come up again. But mm. you need to accept those moments. Yeah, I, I actually um, I have, I have a few thoughts on that. Um, Firstly, I think that something that really helped me, particularly during the Vipassana, was this notion of, I ended up calling it radical curiosity, because I felt like curiosity wasn't quite enough, because you can be cur like, curious about stuff, and it's uh -huh. like, oh, that's interesting, or follow this, but it was more the ability to be curious in the face of like a lot of pain or discomfort, mm -mm. or something that's really scary. And it's like, can you still be curious yeah. about in your feeling? And I think that was like the entry point for me. Um, and I think also this, I don't quite connect with the word resiliency either, because again, I think it implies like some sort of like strength or like tensing against, I almost feel like you need to allow yourself to be completely like, like obliterated <laughs> like just just let yourself be broken by whatever it is um and offer offer no resistance to it at all mm -hmm. and like invite it into part of your being and um like give it a big hug <laughs> whatever it is. And i love this there, <laughs> yeah and from, from there it's just kind of um you know hope hopefully something changes um or at least that's been that's been my experience anyway. And yeah, I, I guess that people have different interpretations for what they mean resiliency to I be. So. But I still yeah. I, I feel like people are maybe grabbing hold of that of something just like another way of stay, of saying stay strong. But I guess it can mean different things. Yeah, it definitely doesn't mean that for me. But yeah, I guess you're right. And I love something you said about uh, finding softiness in, in the world or something and mm. in being curious um i know i mean again it's something very special about when we are confronted with death in general but again more so with suicide we tend to uh, come back to the basics <laughs> to the essential mm -hmm. What, what does life mean to me and so on and so forth, who am I, et cetera, et cetera. And I find that 
uh, suicide is, is very special because it's a giant uh, calling into question about life in general. Mm. And yeah, it's very interesting moment. Like you said, I, I love the, the uh, image with the cracks in the light. Yes, <laughs> it lets light in, but it, for me, it's not only about grieving someone, it's also um, about having, making a new sense of the word now. Like it's shaking the, 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 uh, our view on the word and, and life in general. Mm. Yeah, so what I mean, what came up for for me is I think also it, with with death in general, but I think particularly when it comes so unexpectedly and so mm. out of the, is it really? Um, we have this idea of of like we're all going to die, right? Like intellectually, we know yeah. at some point I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be in the ground or, or whatever but i think we so rarely kind of feel that on an emotional or a visceral level yeah when you have i guess whether it's like a near death accident yourself or you lose someone very close to you particularly in such kind of tragic circumstances it's um really reinforces that sense of complete fragility of life and of this kind of experience that we have and of how precious that is um and i i think that for me like it's also it's it's maybe not even a i've I've almost stopped asking like i I studied philosophy at university and you know there's lots of talk around like what's the what's the meaning of life like why we why we and and even I, I remember um, we used to watch the the murmurations of the starlings uh, down in Brighton. They do this like beautiful dance, and Sophie and I used to be like 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 almost asking like why are they doing it? Like what's the purpose in this? And for me, it's it almost feels like there is no like purpose. It's just it it just is. It's just like this one like wonderful, amazing, exquisite experience, and that's just like. What a, what a privilege that is to experience. And it doesn't, I think if you're looking for the meaning, it's almost asking the wrong question. It's yeah. like, if you don't feel it and see it there, then <laughs> you need to like reorientate yourself to some extent so that you can experience it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is such a, um, a gift in a way of these moments that do reconnect us with the fact that we ultimately like i mean we came from nothing like 31 years ago i didn't exist <laughs> like i'm gonna go back to that point and i've been maybe I've, I've been reading a lot of like of alan watts and that kind of stuff recently and this idea that like all of this has emerged from this kind of fireball in the universe of the big bang we've just evolved from that and we are kind of at this frontier of the universe experiencing itself and becoming self-aware like all of this is it's just incredible and if you can kind of step out of your own like narrow like johnny rational worldview um (laughs) there's a lot of wonder to be felt i think (laughs) and thinking about death i think is is certainly a very um powerful way to get that perspective yeah definitely i love what you say about asking the meaning of life is probably the wrong question (laughs) Mm. and if we don't feel it that that's when we lost the this meaning (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. i totally relate to that And I guess, I mean, and, and you're totally right, that's the moments when I have present the, the idea of death, not as, a, and as an idea, but as a feeling, that's mm. when I feel alive. That's when I, I know I want to live life like more than 100%. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and it also... Um, and it's enjoy inc- really every moment, being present. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's incredibly clarifying in terms yeah. of uh, reminding you what actually matters, right? Like it's yeah. so easy to get wrapped up uh, in any day in feeling worried about essentially like 
very trivial things <laughs> when <laughs> yes. you're when you're kind of giving or when, when I gave a, a, a eulogy or a tribute speech at Sophie's Memorial like the things that you the things that you want to be remembered by and the things that we spoke about mm. and that we cared about were Sophie's acts of like incredible kindness and compassion and talking about the things that she loved and the things that she she loved doing and those are the things that I think we we will be rem- remembered for and yeah. that we actually ultimately want to be remembered for and that all of the the striving and the grasping after achievements and the things that we worry about like ultimately we don't give a shit about that like yeah. when, when you're when you kind of when you have that like um perspective in mind it's yeah it is it's incredibly clarifying and yeah. i think it's 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 also quite hold it's quite hard to hold on to that um you know, that perspective too because it's very easy to get sucked back into the, the day-to-day um like worries and concerns which tend to be quite all-consuming um but yeah i mean it's something that i'd certainly want to try and keep hold of that perspective to the extent that i can um and i'm sure there'll be a lot of times when i forget but it's it's good to have that in the back of your mind yeah definitely um so we're going we're toward the end of this interview and i want to ask a question about like if you had um, one advice to your to the former you mm. that was facing the loss, what would be this advice? What would uh, I don't know? Maybe something you 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 would have done differently to go through the grief, or or you wished mm. you you would have known. Mm. Um, I I don't think I would have done anything differently. Um, I think what I found, I mean, on a practical level, I I was very fortunate that I was able to step away from work and kind of all obligations and responsibilities Mm -hmm. for a pretty extended period of time. I mean, not only the three months afterwards, but really, really a lot of this year, I've I've not really been um, doing that much work. And I think just giving myself that space to process was was incredibly important and nourishing and, and valuable um i understand that's not going to be possible for everyone but yeah. to the extent that you can i think that's really important um i think the, t- the two things for me were kind of allowing myself to, to receive like help and support from other people and mm. love hugs hugs are great hugs <laughs> <laughs> like, make a big difference and you know i was so fortunate to have friends who like turned up with home-baked lasagnas that they just dropped off and kind of gave me a hug. And I, I, I'm just really fortunate to have an amazing group of people around me. Um, but yeah, don't be afraid to lean on those people. And, and it, I think also I almost feel grateful for having made deeper connections during mm-hmm. that period of time with my friends. And I feel closer to my, my family as well to yeah. some extent. I think in those, it's, it's in those times when... Um, real friendships and connections I think are actually forged it's not necessarily when times are good but it's when you when you really need each other um and and yeah and just for me kind of finding ways to um allow myself to feel whatever's coming up so I found that um doing journaling going for swims in the sea and doing yoga were all kind of those three things kind of Um, allowed me to kind of navigate the process I think some people find going to see a grieving grieving counselor is very helpful Um, I think it's kind of finding out what works for you Mm. Um, and and also those two retreats that I mentioned as well the Vipassana and the the ayahuasca plant medicine ceremony were both two very um, very intense and you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for everyone, but um, for me, it certainly helps me to almost go like another layer deeper. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's all that comes to mind. Well, that's a lot already. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in that. So, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, there's a last ritual question for this podcast. Mm, what makes okay. you alive? 
It makes me alive. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Um, so much. So, <laughs> generally, um, I, th- I love surfing. So I think I often feel most alive when I'm, when I'm in the sea. Mm. Ideally on a great, perfect wave, but just generally being in the sea, I think makes me really feel alive. Um, I think that's, um, I've been thinking about this idea of like kind of living the questions. And I think that's such a, that's such an important question to live your way into the answer to. Mm. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's so many, there's so many things that make me feel alive. Um, at the, this morning it was coffee, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just, just letting kind of letting yourself sink into the, whatever is coming up in your experience, whatever it is, just feeling it and that knowing that it has something to give to you or something to some richness in there that can be kind of mind, even if it's not immediately obvious. Um, but, and also conversations like this, I think, um, yeah, talking about this kind of stuff too. Yeah. So much. oh great um is there anything else you want to you would like to add that we didn't talk about um before we end no i think i think i'd just like to say for people um i mean i'm sure that anyone listening to this is probably fairly well-versed in, in a lot of this stuff anyhow but if if you are kind of struggling with um depression or bipolar as, as you say just make sure that you're kind of being kind to yourself and um seeking help and that that notion of radical curiosity i think is so key just having the having the courage to to dive into whatever that discomfort is um whether it's supporting someone that you love through this or going through it yourself um but no um this has been a really yeah a really beautiful conversation thank you so much well thank you (laughs) thank you for being here thank you for um totally taking the time but sharing your your story and wisdom which is such uh, openness and then vulnerability that's uh i really appreciate that Hmm. and um yeah really thank you it's been a, a great conversation for me as well I hope it's been a great conversation for everyone, for your listeners. Um, if you like what you hear, leave a comment on the blog, subscribe to the podcast, share it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Till next time. And until then, spark a life and be integrally alive. Bye.